it's not what you know, it's who you know. Agree or disagree? It's not what you know, it's who you know. That's a life lesson that many of us reject. We don't like it. We don't think it's fair. We don't want it. But I think we can say it's a reality in the world in which we live. We've seen it play out about 40 miles east of here at a place I love, the University of Illinois. The admissions scandal has grabbed the headlines in many ways. We found out that some people who should not have been able to get into a college there, one of the colleges, were admitted, and others who probably should have been admitted were not admitted. And you know why? It wasn't what they knew. What was it? It was who they knew. I had several people share with me after church illustrations uh, from their lives of how this reality has played out. It's not what you know, it's who you know. We don't like it, but from a Christian perspective, think from a Christian perspective this morning, I do kind of like that. I like the fact that from a from a Christian view, not knowing knowledge or things that I do doesn't matter. It's who I know that really makes a difference. Look at it like this. Think about the Old Testament. Think about in the Old Testament that if you wanted to find peace with the Lord, number one, it was based solely on religion. It's a case study in religion. In the Old Testament, you were called to obey and to follow the law. Sometime, if you're bored, go to the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the bulk of the Pentateuch, and go through and read all of the different laws that those who belong to the Lord were, were called to follow and obey. Every life situation, there was a law that applied to that life situation. Obeying and following the law allowed you to find peace with the Lord, and it really boiled down to what you know and what you do. Legalism exposed in many ways the Old Testament. Well, Jesus comes along and Jesus blows it up. Jesus turns everything all around. And in the New Testament, we see that it's really not a case study in religion, but Jesus says it's all about what? Relationship. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says it's not so much a call to know, it's not so much a call to do, but what is it? It's a call to be. We're called to be followers of Christ. We're called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We're called to be difference-making agents, ambassadors for Christ. And it really boils down to who you know. If I could tell someone who is not a Christian today what really matters, what would I give them more than anything else, I would say it boils down to who you know and who you follow. We continue our study through the book of Acts. I think this is week six, believe it or not. Last week we looked at Acts 9 and the, the conversion of Saul. We looked at people like Ananias and Barnabas and the converted Saul, the, the difference that they made through having courage or, or being an encourager or being bold for Christ. And we were challenged to try to be like an Ananias or be like a Barnabas or be like someone who is the converted Saul, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Today we step back and, and we look at one of the real heroes of the Gospels, the Apostle Peter. I, I love the Apostle Peter. I love his life. It's a roller coaster kind of life. I think I, I have a lot in common with Peter in that regard. Peter's on the mountaintop. Peter's in the valley. 
And here in Acts chapter 10, Peter gets a vision that not only changes his world, it changes the world in many ways. Uh, the, The title of the message today is simply New Vision. The story of Acts 10, Peter is given a new vision. Now, we're going to put the scripture up on the screen and it's in your bulletin, but I want to invite you to grab your Bible or a pew Bible and to read with me this vision that Peter receives. Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 9. Listen to God's word. Luke records these words. He says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter was a good Jew. He would never eat or touch anything that was unclean. We'll get to that a a little bit later. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. Well, what's going on with Peter? Well, he's hungry, so he goes up on the roof to pray and falls into like a trance. Maybe it's a dream of some sort, but God gives him a vision. And in the vision, all kinds of animals are placed on this sheet. We're talking reptiles, animals that, just to be blunt with you this morning, I wouldn't be too excited about eating, forgetting the whole clean and unclean thing. But you need to understand, Peter... God-fearing follower of the Lord, knows the law well, knows Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The idea of eating something that's unclean, he can't do it. Well, let me share with you real quickly. You can turn there if you want, but you may want to write it down and look at it later. Leviticus chapter 11. This is just one of the parts where we read about what is clean and what is unclean. Listen to some of Leviticus chapter 11. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, said to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on the land, these are the ones you may eat. Verse 3, you may eat any animal that has a split hoof completely divided and that chews the cud. Verse 4, there are some who only chew the cud or only have a split hoof. You must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. The coney, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is unclean for you. Verse 7, and the pig, though it has a split hoof completely divided, does not chew, does not have a split hoof completely divided, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. And I could keep reading, if you wanted me to, in Leviticus chapter 11. For time's sake, we won't do it. But this is the picture that I want you to get. There were certain animals you could kill and eat, and there were a whole bunch of animals that were unclean, and you weren't supposed to even touch them, have nothing to do with them. And all of this is blown up. There's a big explosion taking place inside Peter's mind right here because God is putting every kind of animal mentioned here in Leviticus chapter 11 in Peter's mind and vision. Let me give you the point of the vision. I'm just going to lay it on the line for you. Here's the point of the vision. The Lord is telling Peter, simply put, the grace of God is now available to all. Anyone 
can receive the grace of God. Anyone can find peace with God. And this vision will change Peter's life. And this vision will change the world. And so for the rest of our time this morning, real quickly, I want to look at three lessons that I think Peter learned. And just to be blunt with you today, you need to learn these lessons. You need to embrace these lessons. If you leave our sanctuary today and maybe you like the music and you like communion and you gave a little bit in the offering, but you don't grab a hold of these lessons, I will feel like I have failed. So if you're distracted right now, if you're having a hard time paying attention, let me just really challenge you for the next couple minutes to focus in on these three lessons. Number one is this, Peter learned the Lord accepts everyone the same. That's huge. The Lord accepts everyone the same. In the Old Testament, we see how the people of the nation of Israel were designated as God's chosen people. And many commentators have said that that means that they were his favorite people. And I think you can make that case. No doubt about that. To put it bluntly, many of these people believed that God had no use at all for Gentiles. That though a Gentile could convert to Judaism, at best they would attain a second class status in their religion. And get this, some religious Jews even went so far as to say you shouldn't give help to a Gentile woman in childbirth because you would only be bringing another Gentile into the world. And you know what that's called? That's called racial prejudice. And God wanted Peter to overcome that racial prejudice. He wanted to use Peter to tell the world something new. God is not only the God of the Jews, God is the God of all creation. God loves us, and he accepts us all the same. And Peter says as much in verse 34 of Acts chapter 10. Then Peter began to speak, and he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. This summer on vacation in Washington, D.C., we visited Congress. And my son's souvenir at Congress was a copy of the Declaration of Independence. And the Declaration of Independence proclaims that all men are created equal. And in theory, that may be true. I'm not sure it's really worked out that way in society, unfortunately. Some are born with greater opportunities than others. Maybe a better family, maybe more money, more talent, better looks, more intelligence, more resources. I'm not sure that's always the case, but... Sadly, and this is where it applies for you and for me this morning, the same can be said of the church. Martin Luther King Jr. once said the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And that's a mistake that churches have made in the past. And I think we have to strive to show others that God accepts everyone the same and that you and me, we accept Everyone the same as well. Understand, anyone can know Jesus. Anyone can talk to Him in prayer. Anyone can experience His love. Anyone can be forgiven. Anyone can do His will. Anyone can practice holiness. Anyone can live a life that brings God glory. And I think in light of the inequality that unfortunately exists in our world, the church has to be countercultural. The church has to be a place that says, I don't care how much money you make or don't make. I don't care about the color of your skin. I don't care about your socioeconomic background. You are welcome here. Lesson one that Peter learned, the Lord accepts everyone the same. Secondly, 
Peter also learned that the Lord judges everyone the same. Now, there I did. I just shared the judgment word. And you know, you like when the preacher talks about the love of God. You like when the preacher talks about the grace of God. But when we use the big J word, judgment, people get a little nervous. I'm not sure I want to hear that, preacher. Think positive. Let's don't think negative this morning. But here's a reality that Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our brother. Jesus is our advocate. But right here, Peter reminds us in Acts chapter 10 that Jesus is also our judge. Look, look at verse 42. It says, Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead. And I've got to tell you, there's no other judge I'd rather have than Jesus. Think about it. When you stand before the throne of judgment and you have to give an account for your life and all you've done, who do you want to face? Do you want to face your high school football coach? Do you want to face your boss? Do you want to face your mother-in-law? I know I don't. Now, I love my mother-in-law, but I don't want to face her. I want to face Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that Jesus is the one who will judge. You know, there's a story about a judge in Oklahoma. had a very important case. And he announced to the entire courtroom audience, ladies and gentlemen, in the interest of keeping all matters pertaining to this trial above board, I'd like to report that I have in my possession two envelopes. One from the defendant containing $750 and one from the plaintiff containing $1,000, which some might call bribes. Now, as an officer of the court, I am required to decide this case purely on its merits. Therefore, I am returning the extra $250 to the plaintiff this morning. In 1994, three American citizens conspired together to smuggle heroin from Thailand into the United States. And all three were caught, but at different stages of the act. One was caught in Thailand, one was caught in Holland, one was caught in the United States. Now, the person caught in the U.S. was given a two-year suspended sentence, and he was sent to rehab. The person caught in Holland was forced to do two years in a Dutch prison. And the one caught in Thailand was sentenced to death. The same exact crime, three different punishments. And the idea of justice differs from nation to nation. In America, it differs from state to state, even from judge to judge. And we can argue till we're blue in the face over which judge is right or which nation is right. But the fact remains, there's a tremendous inequity whenever we try to administer justice as humans. Some have argued that the rich might have advantage of the poor, or whites might have advantage over others. It doesn't matter. No sense of even discussing that this morning. The point is this, there is inequity. But it doesn't work that way with God. Human courts may fail at times. Jesus Christ never does. Jesus judges everyone the same with absolute fairness. But there are two lies the devil is going to try to get you to believe. Lie one is you don't have to worry about the sin in your life because God's going to give you special treatment. That's a lie. And the second lie is there's no point in doing anything about the sin in your life because God's got it in for you personally. That's a lie as well. Listen to Romans chapter 12 beginning with verse 9. Paul says, There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace. For everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Let me break this down. Two things for you this morning. Number one is this. You can't escape the consequences of sin just because you are you. There's no personal privilege you can invoke because you were a good person. 
or because you did good things. But secondly, if anyone in the world can be forgiven, you can. God will not deny you what He has offered freely to everyone else. See, it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you've done. It's all about who do you know? Who is your Lord? Who is your Savior? That's that's the bottom line. Number three, third lesson that Peter learned, the Lord offers salvation to everyone the same. If you stood before the throne of God today, and you're going to face judgment based on your own merit, how do you think you'd fare? When you think about the judgment of God, some of you probably get a little uneasy. I know the feeling. No one wants to stand before the judge when they're guilty, and I'm guilty. You're guilty. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God judges us impartially. He won't let you off the hook just because you are who you are. Here's the good news. He'll let you off the hook because of who He is. His purpose for sending Jesus into the world was to save us from our sins. Look at Acts 10 verse 43. Peter says, Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. His name. You'll, you'll never be able to be good enough to earn God's favor. But the good news this morning, my friends, is you don't have to. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know and who is your Lord and who is your Savior. And so we conclude this morning with a question. My question is this. I kind of want it to to jingle around in your mind this week. What what do you want your church to look like? What do you hope heaven will look like? Look around just a minute. Look at the people that are gathered here. Many of you are dressed very nice. Whoa. You, you, You did yourself up well this morning. Is that what you want your church to look like? Or would someone that didn't have a light purple shirt and tie like, would they be welcome here? Would someone maybe in in jeans and a t-shirt? Or someone whose skin wasn't white like it, would they be welcome here? Is it a place where they can come and together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can love the Lord and gather together ready to make a difference? See, the bottom line is this. I want you to catch this. The grace of God is a free gift. And it's available to anyone who submits to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. No matter race, no matter socioeconomic background, no matter what neighborhood you grew up in or what little town you live in, God's grace is available to all. Another way of saying that is, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So I have to ask the most important question, do you know Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord and your Savior? If not, why not? Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for, a ch- for the chance to worship, to, uh, to cast aside the cares of our lives, and to focus on you. And I, just, I praise you this morning for this new vision that you gave to Peter a couple thousand years ago that's relevant for our lives today. And it's my hope and my prayer that First Christian Church of Clinton is always a place where anyone and everyone is welcome 
to learn more about you and your son Jesus, to boldly make a difference in your world, in your name. Bless us now, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.